0: Hey everyone welcome back to the last word on sense podcast as always i'm your host alex metzger and making his return to the podcast today is the one and only tyler ray tyler thank you for joining me how's it going man
1: thank you for having me no i'm doing great uh much better having this conversation after uh a, a big win is it for a minute there looks like we might be uh having this through uh some very frustrated tears after uh after blowing a lead like that but happy to be here
0: Yes, we are uh, recording about 10 minutes after the Ottawa Senators ended their game in uh, a very interesting fashion against the Detroit Red Wings over in Sweden. And I was just thinking to myself before we started recording too, it's funny how much one goal and, and one game can make the difference in a fan base just the mood overnight because... As you mentioned, even if they lose that game in overtime and get a point, it would have been mayhem, I think, on online and and probably in the room, too, having to sit there until Saturday where they could right their wrongs. But, you know, they they get the win. It's still not ideal. Like they they shouldn't have needed to give Detroit a point there, but obviously you will take the two points over completely blowing it and not getting two points at all. Um, But there's still a lot to be learned. And, And in a... In a nutshell, that, that's kind of a microcosm of their season, the, that game, if you ask me. Like, we saw some really good. We saw guys, like, I thought Stutzler and Brady both had one of their best games this year, to be honest. But then we see the bad side of it, too, where the team just shuts down in the second period, and multiple times they forget how to play defense during that game.
1: Yeah, they uh it, it's hard watching a game where... I I feel like if you were down for nothing and then you came back in one five four, uh, you know, a lot of that gets swept under the rug, right? because uh, it's a it's a gigantic comeback. But when you go up and then you blow a lead, it just psychologically feels uh feels worse. Uh yes, good that they won at the end, but uh it's yeah, I don't know if uh this version of the team with the personnel that they have and the and the coaching system that they have, uh is going to change a whole lot as far as it's an, it's an up and down team. It's it's feast or famine. Uh, There's so much talent so they can explode and, and have like those, those big outbursts with uh, you know, goals scored in quick succession and uh, it can go the other direction where they're they're just, they look like uh, they're lost in the defensive zone and the coverage is all over the place. And then um, you know, teams can, can run it up on them very quickly.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: I, I, I've i said it. It feels like
0: every podcast I say this, but I've never watched a team that puck watches as much as these guys in their own end. Like, it feels like every other goal, you can basically clip three guys looking at the puck and someone just skating in behind them, getting an open look and putting it in the net. And it's like, okay, this was an excuse three years ago when Stutzel was a rookie, Brady was in the second year, all that good stuff. This cannot be an excuse in year seven of the rebuild when this team wants to be a playoff team
1: yeah what's funny to me uh, this game today uh where they won an ot is the first game this year that they've uh won by less than three goals so all of their wins this year have been by uh three goals or more and so it's kind of it's weird i guess you you characterize this was a close one even though it's like it had gigantic swings right so it didn't even really feel close right (laughs) it felt like it's just a game of two halves right where where they uh They dominate it and like the games that they win, that's kind of how they they win. They go out there and just uh blow the other team away, and there's not it's not very uh tight at all. And then um, they they like to lose in lots of different ways, but uh, the close ones so far this year are ones that they haven't come out on top of. So, also the first time this year they've actually made it to OT, uh, they've all their games have been a regulation, uh, so far before today. So, it's it's been a strange one.
0: Yeah, and that's another thing that I keep going back and forth just personally where one of the things I I criticized them heavily on last year was their inability to at least get a point when you're going on some of those streaks, you know? Like, we saw last year they had multiple streaks where they lost six-plus games without a point, and that's the difference between being in the playoff hunt when you get down to game 80, 81, 82, and not. And even this year, as you mentioned, they've lost, I think, four One goal games at least, and they're a seven and seven record, which again it's not it's better than in years past, but you then look at a team like Detroit, who has more losses than them, but are like three points ahead because they're now eight, five, and three, or something like that. So they're picking up those loser points, which are valuable. And again, you'd much rather just win flat out than get a loser point. But on some of these efforts, too, it's like, man, like if you're if you don't have your A game. And it's a bit of a schedule loss. You know, like the, the game against Vancouver kind of reminded me of that hot team coming in. You're on a back-to-back. They're not. Might be a schedule loss. But every once in a while, you got to find one of those games to just force a point out of the team.
1: Yeah, it's, it's important for them to keep being games, right? To to be able to be within striking distance. Uh, I think most of the, the losses this year are ones where they're down early. They're chasing the game almost immediately. You know, uh, and then uh, you know, in some cases, they can make it close, right? But the it, it's too big of a hill to climb to actually get back in, and, um, legitimately, like get be tied in a third kind of thing, and that's that's just not a thing that they do this <laughs> so far this year. They're they're uh they're running away with it or they're chasing like that. There's not much in between for them, so it was kind of interesting to actually watch a third period this this year with them tied because that's not really a, a a thing that's, that's happened so far. And they kind of just saw it off and they did have, um, you know, one of my pet peeves this year has been special teams and, you know, you can see they could have ended this a lot earlier. They had lots of opportunities too. And, uh, um, the, their special teams really has let them down so far. I think it's, a, you can see some trends going, you know, in a slightly better direction, but for the most part, um, they're just not getting it done there. And that's probably the reason why the record is where it is. Um, and, and, you know, we, we'd like to see more, especially on the power play. I mean, PKs that, that sometimes is, is dependent on your goalie and, and whatnot. And I, I don't think it's as much about personnel or systems, uh, but the power play with the talent they have, they should be a top five power play team in the league. Yeah.
0: I'm, I'm glad you said that too. Cause that was another thing that I was kind of, I was looking up right as we were um, starting to record this podcast because I, I felt the same way where I was like, this power play just does not feel like it's clicking like last year, even though it absolutely should be. And I, I know they lose to Brinkett or whatever, but again, like he wasn't even playing power play one the entire time last year anyways. And you add Josh Norris, which you were missing all of last year as well. And I, I do kind of think they should get a little more lucky um, in terms of, like, I feel like it's maybe been a little bad luck on the power play. I just looked it up quick. They're about 15th in shots 4 per 60 on the power play this year, and they are ninth in expected goals 4 generated uh, per 60 minutes on the power play, so it's not like they're playing bad, but as you said, this is a team with so much talent. Brady Kachuk is one of the best net front presences in the league who can go behind the net and grab the puck when needed. You know, you got Josh Norris, you have Tim Stutzla, you have any of Sanderson, Chitran, or Shabbat, you know, when Shabbat's healthy, and even Brandstrom in there if you need them on the back end. Um, you know, Giroux a great passer. You have so many options here. I've even got a guy like Batherson who can be effective on the With power Tarasenko,
1: play. they 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 <laughs> exactly. have a ridiculous they have Kubalik even who is like a power play specialist. They they have a an, an, a ridiculous level of depth in in you know high skill power play specialists. And all different types, right? Not just one. So, you know, it should mesh better than it does. And it has yeah. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And um, again,
0: I, I hope that it is something that kind of just naturally goes. Like, the power play is another thing where it's like, I, I'm sure there is some system to it. But also, when you have five players or more, like 10 players, basically, as talented as Ottawa has, at some point, the players just got to figure it out themselves too, right? And And I think they will but it's something that they could definitely need they need to get going like right now
1: yeah i think you're right in saying that the power play especially once you're set up in the end uh that's more on the players their their creativity and and their their skill taking over because a lot of times a power play goal result is a result of at one point uh s- sort of a a slick pass that breaks up the scene, right scene, that gets the penalty killers running around and then all of a sudden someone someone's open. So if you have skilled players they're usually able to to find that one play that breaks open the the PK um system and then they exploit it from there. Um the systems kind of come in I think on the the entries and whatnot and uh I haven't liked the way they they enter the zone on the on the power play. I don't know but it's it's almost exclusively i mean everyone does the drop but that's not a big like clearly that is a system that that uh most teams have adopted and i don't think that's really the issue it's uh when they when they go over the the blue line it's then an immediate short pass to the the board based winger but it ends up being like a 50 50 puck half the time like they, it, they have to chase it and there's a guy right on them to be able to maintain the possession and sometimes they get it and sometimes they don't and they just should have a higher percentage higher degree of certainty that they're going to maintain possession going in the zone and that play is is not a you know a high percentage one
0: yeah i completely agree and the other thing i notice a lot and maybe not as much on the power play but i've noticed it multiple times when they have an empty net is They'll do exactly what you said, drop the pass, and then the guy will just fire the puck into the zone while the defenders are already skating back. It's like, well, you have a, manage, a man advantage. Take take use of that, you know? Like, carry the puck, and you have such talented puck carriers. Tim Stutzle today was a perfect example. Late in that third period on one of their power play attempts, he goes in, circles wide, goes all the way across the net, moves it out front for a great chance. They don't score, but it's a great look made because he actually carried the puck in.
1: I'd much prefer them to try that, where they just someone blasts in the zone and keeps possession, and then circles the net because you're more likely to maintain possession that way. Uh, especially you got like Sutsu, right? Who's just he's got the speed and and the stick handling that he can maintain it most times doing that. But once you try and do a quick little saucer like a and it's 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 like a, a a two foot pass, like it's it's a tiny little one, but the guy is covered right? Like it's not even to your, an open guy. It's just like a, something where you're like, okay, go fish it out on the boards now. And hopefully we can, we can maintain it. But uh yeah, hopefully that I'm sure they're seeing the same things and, and uh you would hopefully in uh, some adjustment at some point where they're, they're doing it a little differently.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this is one thing I'll be curious to watch if the adjustment is made because, and I don't want to talk about every podcast, but, Let's be honest, it's one of the biggest looming stories over the Ottawa Senators that DJ Smith is still the coach of this team, rightfully or wrongfully. And it's these kind of adjustments that are going to have to be made if he wants to keep coaching this team over this year, you know? And again, I think there's arguments for and against keeping him. I understand where Steve Steos and Michael Anlau are coming from, where the whole Dorian situation, the Dadnoff situation, the Pinto situation, that's a lot of mayhem for a team. Firing your coach on top of that might just add to that storyline, especially when, you know, the guys like him at the same time, you know, everything we just mentioned about the power play, about the entry zone entries, you know, I, I think you can take a lot of that to five on five as well. That is coaching, Um, you know, and sometimes the players just have to do it themselves and, you know, the players need to own some of it as well. But when they're being told, make those little passes in the zone or dump the puck in and chase it, despite being a, a skill heavy team that should be relying on their puck possession. That comes down to coaching to me. And that's something that I just, I cannot get across enough needs to change whether DJ Smith is a coach of this team or if it's someone else.
1: Yeah. I, I, I agree with that because I, I, I see where they're coming from with the, uh wanting to maintain the stability and i'm okay like i'm not one that's like screaming about fire this guy game in and, and game out i think you know there, there has to be a level of acceptance uh for the short term at least that this is what they're they're working with but that that's what i've said like this is the team that you're going to get most nights and their talent honestly if they're healthy, um can kind of overcome that too. Right. On, on a lot of nights, they can win despite some of those, you know uh, you know, the issues around systems or, or, or coaching have you, because um, you know, they just have that, that, that level of talent with the the players that they can kind of score their way out of that. Um, I don't, it's obviously not a recipe for long-term success. um, But I think that's just what, where we're at right now. So, you know, the hope is that, you know, they can just maximize their play with this, with this current coach for as long as they need to. And then there'll be a, if it's not working out when we get into the second half of the season and, and what I mean, then they're going to make a change and that's, you know, people might want it now, but I see where they're coming from. And, you know, if, if it continues, we'll, we'll get that change. And I mean, I think it's inevitable regardless. He's just been here a long time. Right. So unless, unless they make a big, they, they make the playoffs and then they have a good run, you know, that, that was going to, he was kind of a dead man walking. Right. So as far as we're concerned, but um, yeah, I just, I'm enjoying, I mean, I was frustrating to watch them, but I am enjoying watching this particular group of guys Um coming in the season, there's a lot to like about the personnel they've assembled on the team. And I, and I think the, the frustration with the fan base is just around, you know, the results not lining up with, with what's there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. On paper, this is a team that should be right in the playoff hunt, you know, like, are they a team you should put with the cup contenders? No, not yet. You know, they, they still have some building. They still have some growing to do if they want to reach that step, but you cannot convince me otherwise that on paper, this is not a team that should be right in that wild card hunt or even third in the division hunt with how you know the Tampa Bay Lightning have started off somewhat slowly this year with the injuries they have as well. And yeah, that is where the frustration comes in of especially because it's not like this team stinks every night, you know? Like it if that was the case, it'd almost be easier because people could admit okay, we were just wrong on our evaluations. This team isn't that good. As you mentioned, every other game or every once in a while, every period, it seems like it'll switch back and forth where you see the team that you think they can be all the time of Stutzler's flying out there. Josh Norris is making plays, you know, like the depth is showing up. The blue line looks really good. And then they just turn into this team that forgets how to forecheck, forgets how to defend, forgets how to break out of their own end, can't get a save or whatever, you know, not that goaltending has been the biggest problem by any means, but like, It's just such a wild night and day that the inconsistency is so frustrating because this team's all been paid now. Let's be honest. Like this, again, this isn't year one or two of most of these guys' careers. Every single core player on this team has a contract and a long one and a good one at that, you know, and and like not saying it's too much money, but they have been paid and and now it's time to produce. So when you see these inconsistencies, it's just hard to justify those excuses of we didn't get the bounces. You know, it's like this is year five of not getting the bounces. Sometimes you got to change how you get those bounces.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean I would love to see a sustained run where they are uh, you know at least cuz sometimes results are are you know they're luck based and 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 they tend to even out over time. But I'd love to see sustained possession wins game after game, right? Where you could show um that they're tilting the ice for the most part and Usually, if you do that on a, you know, a, a, from game in game out, then the results tend to follow you eventually, uh, even if you, you're not like, for example, getting the bounces here and there. So uh, I think that's your your first indicator that they're they're kind of set to go on a big run. And yeah, we we haven't really seen it yet.
0: Yeah, and I kind of felt like that's what the team looked like when they, you know, snapped off those three or four wins in a row at the start of the season. Like, the first five games, outside the Carolina one wasn't great, but first game of the season, and it's not like it was horrible or anything, but the next four games, I thought they looked really strong. And it wasn't just the fact that they were winning, they were controlling the possession, as you mentioned. And then it just kind of tapered off to the point where I think they're like 25th in expected goals right now and 22nd in Corsi 4 in the league. And again, those things aren't everything. And as you mentioned, they do have the skill to outplay their problems. But if you're trying to build a team that is successful long-term, you do need those things to at least be in the top half of the league.
1: Yeah. Yeah, They, I think one of the things that happened when they really dropped off there is that they lost half their, their D core, right? Like that. that's, that's going to hurt regardless. And they are especially not set up to lose like a guy like Zub. Uh, that because of the fact that they're they're light on right shot guys to start with and secondly he's just their most dependable uh defender right uh, on in that position so when you lose him and then obviously shabbat's the big one on top of that but if you lose him then all of a sudden travis Hamnick becomes your your top right shot natural right shot option right and we we know what that results in right It it throws everyone off he, uh he drags Sanderson down with them when they have to pair up that that unit as well. uh so not to say you can't overcome injuries, um, but I think that that little stretch after they had their good um start, I think was precipitated by they're just not set up to to lose a player like that. I think it, it hurts them more than than you'd think it would.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you said that because that's something, you know, we kind of had on the docket to talk about here is their blue line is finally getting healthier, which is nice. Obviously, Shabbat's going to be out for a couple more weeks, at least, I would assume. Um, but Zub's back and I, I didn't get to watch his game in uh, Vancouver or Calgary or against Vancouver or Calgary. But uh, against Detroit today, I, he looked amazing. Like he led the team, I think, in Corsi in the game. And, and it's small sample over one game, so it's not a big deal. But you can just see those defensive defensive little plays that he makes in his own end when he watch for them. And and they're so impressive and it's not always a, a massive hit or anything like that, but it's, it's breaking up a cycle, which this team really needs behind their net or on a half board to move the puck the other way. And yeah, you're, you're absolutely right when you put a guy like Travis Hamannick into that position, he's just in over his head at this point in his career. And I, I think the time that Zub was out, you really saw how important he was to this team because Naturally, he kind of gets thought of, I think, as the fourth defender on this decor with Chitron, Chabot, and Sanderson. But he is the most reliable defensive guy that they have, and having him, the ability to have him eat massive minutes in your own end, especially if you're going to pair him with Sanderson and have them both kind of be a shutdown pair, it's just so invaluable that people probably don't put enough respect on it.
1: To be honest, yeah. Well, he also he makes Sanderson is amazing, so he can he can fly with any. Partner, but what happens when he plays with Zub is that he's freed up, so you see a lot more uh rushes that he'll lead that he jumps into. Uh, he'll he'll make play like t- he scored uh, in today's game by coming right down on the boards and then uh, you know, kind of finding that soft spot in the slot. Uh, he doesn't do that when he's paired up with a lesser guy, or he he does it less frequently, anyways. Um, so I think zoo being there really solidifies having a pairing and they can just eat all the tough minutes right and that by extension makes a guy like chicken better and and shabbat when he's healthy because they're they're sitting on they probably get a lot of ozone starts and things like that uh when sanderson zoo go in there to take the the heavy minutes uh from the top line uh so by extension you know you're helping out those guys as well yeah absolutely
0: and um you know, even just on the penalty kill and stuff like that, you know, it's just, it's nice to have a guy back there, you know, you don't need him blocking a ton of shots or anything, but a guy who can disrupt when they're moving the puck effectively is something that this team really misses at times on the back end, especially when he's not in the lineup. And, and yeah, like, I, again, I, I just think it's been pretty well highlighted when he was out versus back in, you know, even over the past couple of years, what those splits are.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um... He's like I I love watching him play. Like he seems to get better every game. And I, there's going to be a certain point where it's not going to even matter <laughs> who his partner is. I think, yeah. but I mean, he's still he's still a young guy too. So I think it's uh, it just makes everything better uh, with with Sanderson. Anyways, when when he's got a partner like Zub and Zub, like even before Sanderson was on a team, and Zub was here, every defenseman paired with Zub looked better, had better underlying numbers than they did paired away from him. So he, he just makes his partner better in, in almost every circumstance.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um Let's move on to another topic. And uh, I guess we've been talking about the game today a lot, obviously, you know, fresh on our minds. But uh let's go to the trip as a whole. They're, they're back in Sweden since the first time since uh, 2018, which people forget, I think, that they won both of those games while they were in Sweden. They <laughs> did, because- yes. That, that is marked as like the downfall of the Ottawa Senators, because obviously it all just went absolutely off the rails after that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's funny because it's a different feeling this time around, but people are A, obviously a little skeptical because the month of November has not been kind to the Ottawa Senators in recent memory. But B, I've seen a lot of people taking an optimistic view, which is really cool to see, of this is where the, the season kind of fell apart last time they were good. Let's see if this is where the season can turn around. And I don't know if I put much stock into it one way or the other, uh, but but it is funny just seeing the kind of comparables or almost opposites to what this was last time they were in Sweden and how they're going to try and take it and build from here.
1: Yeah, like 2018's a, a bit of a, that's a unicorn situation, right? Because the trip was, like you said, they they were... They won both those games. They looked good in both those games. They were great before they left. They they were so good that they traded for Matt Duchesne before. Like those were his first two games with the team uh, in Sweden. Uh and then you know they came home and immediately uh, fell off a cliff, right? And I think in that situation, a lot of it was off ice stuff, right? That just bubbled to the surface and everything. Like, and again, I don't think that's something. You never know what's going behind the scenes, but I don't think with this particular, you know, that's, that's what we're, we're looking at here. Um, The similar, well, it's funny because what 2018 reminds me more of is if you go back to uh, 2008, which is the year after they went to the finals and they had uh, John Paddock as their coach. And they got off to an insane start, right? And Ray Emery is a goalie, and uh, they they started the season at, like, a record pace. And then Ray Emery had some issues with the team his practice, and then there was a whole thing. And, and like, behind-the-scenes things seemed to go off the rails, and then the team just dropped off a cliff, too. So that's the one I kind of equate, where there was some stuff going on that wasn't really on ice things it was it was off ice stuff and that's what de- derailed the team whereas this year, i think it's different what you have to look at is is sort of the 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 space in between games you know that's similar uh when you when you make a trip like this um usually you, you play so sporadically that a loss is really magnified because you got to sit on it for multiple days and not get back out there um Maybe there's some jet lag stuff that comes into play, but I I can't imagine that's too big of a deal because uh, it's not like they have you come home and like play the next day. Like you get they get a break once they they've, come back.
0: They have six days off in between their exactly.
1: Games, so so yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine that's really a big deal. I think it's more the uh, yeah. because I had I was posting about this the other day. Like, like cocky players are creatures of habit. They like the routine. Um, they'd rather play every second day, right? Like if they had their choice and you're going to see that happen in December because they have 15 games in December. They have three more this month. So we have a, we have a, we hope that they win them because it's hard for us. And I'm sure it's hard for the team if they don't, because that's all you're thinking about is that, is that loss. Um, So December to me will be interesting because um, I think it's probably good in general that they, um do get on a regular playing schedule and it's also the time if you're going to go on a run that's great because you'll you'll make up some room in the standings as well by playing so often right you'll you'll make up some of those games in hand you're you're giving up now um but at the same time the the downside of that is if you play so often you're more likely to suffer injuries so you know you gotta kind of see how that works out for them as well uh the other looming thing that may be just take care of itself with other injuries is that when Shabbat comes off LTIR, they've got they're back in their old problem with their with their cap and like their actual roster space. All these it's been nice watching it's not nice to have Shabbat out, but it's nice to have like extra guys, guys you can rotate in and out of the lineup and and uh and have that ability. That will not be the case if Shabbat comes back and there's not another move or not another LTIR option there. you you're, you're Back to maybe having one guy that's on IR, right, and and that's it, and then ever and then you're hoping that no one else gets hurt and you're down like a shorter guy for a game, which is certainly a possibility.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and you know we've seen multiple teams, including Ottawa, have to play down a man, you know, at different times over the past couple of years because of it. But yeah, I think you you nailed it in terms of I don't really think the trip itself is going to have a physical impact right away one way or the other for these guys, but it's the fatigue factor of, and especially mixed in, it's not like this has been a heavy season to start either. Like they had a pretty light October and they had a really light November even before this Sweden trip in terms of just space in between games where December and January are going to get very heavy on this team. And you're going to be playing literally on average every other night, basically, until just looking at it, February. Like they have a ton of games between... De, uh, December 1st and January 31st. It's like a third of their season, it looks like, on paper. And maybe not quite that much, but you like it, it's a lot. And yeah. that's definitely the one thing of when you take almost two full weeks to go to Sweden and only play two games, that's maybe where the concern is. But again, as you mentioned, there are possible upside as well, where because you're playing that much, if you get into a good rhythm, it can be really helpful for, for the team. Because as you mentioned, as much as it goes the opposite way where you don't want to sit on a loss, when you win and you go back to the rink the next day feeling good about yourself and then put on another win, you just feel that much better. And it just keeps going when you're playing hot, you know? So it's absolutely something that they can take advantage of. And I don't think should be an excuse one way or the other about this trip, uh, Other, especially because three other teams are doing it and two in their own division.
1: Yeah. No, I think that the fears of, of this trip derailing them or or being an issue that are probably overblown um it's it's not it's not ideal to have to like take an overseas trip in the middle of the season but it's also it shouldn't be the end of the world like it uh they do open up a lot of time before and after for you to to do any kind of recovery you need and i think the only real big impact like i was saying is is uh mushing some games in, uh, over time where maybe there's some cases. I mean, I mean I'm sure once they start December and get those games to like it, they might once they're in January, they might be like, "Can we get a break here?" <laughs> you know, there there might be a, a period where like, "Oh, I'd love three days, uh, between games here," and they're just not going to get it. Yeah, absolutely. And
0: uh you know, aside from the actual on ice thing, I. I get, I've heard mixed reactions to going to Sweden. You know, I've heard, and neutral spectators too, being like, why on earth are they going to Sweden? But then on the other hand, I do think it's pretty cool, especially with three of the four teams that they've brought in terms of Detroit, Toronto, Ottawa, who all have very big Swedish history, obviously. Ottawa got Carlson, Alfredson, you know, Detroit's got Lidstrom on their team, or obviously Head and Zetterberg as well. Um, you know, Toronto, uh, Salming on their team. Um I know I'm missing a couple. William Nylander currently, obviously. Yeah. Um, and then Minnesota, which I'm not sure if I'm missing something when, someone from Minnesota. They
1: have a suite. They must, right? There's they, no they one they that's out of me. Well, Gustafson.
0: Yeah, Gustafsson. Yeah, I just, they just felt like the odd man out in terms of the history with Sweden.
1: But... Yes, that's right. Well, does Minnesota have a history? The Wild, well,
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. That's basically what I thought too. But maybe they just needed a team to steal two gate revenues from. But um, I, I do think, in general, like it was really cool seeing. I think it was Lidstrom go and drop the puck today. You know, and uh, was out. They they have guys out before and after. Elfredson's on the bench for the Senators right now, which. That that's really cool to me. Um, I don't know if that's something that is planned to continue after the Sweden trip or if it's just for this game today and then Saturday. Um, but regardless, it is really cool to see. You know, they uh, quite quite literally saying that they weren't sure what his role was going to be, but he was going to be here, and uh, apparently he's a, a coach as well. So, but yeah. I, like all that stuff and just acknowledging, you know, past players, current players right now. I do get what value that has for the NHL. And so when people say, why on earth are they over in Sweden in the middle of the year? This is why, you know, to, to try and build your game on an international level.
1: Oh yeah. And, and people, you know, uh, will complain about the league not you know, being open to marketing uh, outside their North America and things like that. So these are the types of things you do. I don't think there's any issues that I'm always interested in because it's this this game and the next game are, are home games for Ottawa, which means they give up two home gates uh, to that. I've always wondered what the, the arrangement is uh, for, you know, obviously there's revenue that's being shared with them, but how much is that? Like clearly like the two games that Leafs play are away games for them. So they're not giving up home dates for in exchange for whatever they're getting out of this. Uh, whereas Ottawa was was fine doing that so uh that's that's a little inter- more of the off the ice stuff but that's interesting someone's got to be the home team so i guess uh, you, you got to take the hit there but it's also two less games you can have like in front of your home crowd as well
0: yeah and it was funny i was talking on my other podcast and uh my co-host is a Leafs fan and he was saying it was weird that ottawa and toronto would both go to sweden and not play each other i was like no that is the owner or the management team of Ottawa going, We are not losing a Toronto Maple Leafs, home they're gate.
1: not giving up a Toronto home game, uh, gate that's for yes. sure.
0: And and understandably, Toronto's not trying to give up two gates either or even one because I would say they, I would assume them, and probably the Rangers are the two highest grossing game by game ticket sales. Um, you know, like Toronto makes millions per every game just because of how absurd the ticket prices are, so um. Right. Yeah, it's definitely some politics in it, but as you said, like Ottawa agreed to this, and and I feel like if they weren't okay or didn't do the math or or felt you know it was better for them in the long term or whatever, they wouldn't have agreed to go and give up two home gates. Um, and again, like against Minnesota, I don't think they're really losing much there in terms of what they're probably gaining for being in Sweden. So, but it, it is an interesting thing just to to see how it all shakes out because even the fact that Toronto's going to these games, I I thought was a little surprising, Um, you know, how often, and not just the NHL, like the NFL for years has sent some of their worst matchups to uh, London to play, you know, like the Jaguars are basically London because they're over there two, three times a year, but it's the same with the NHL. Whereas, you know, like I, I can't remember the last time a team like Toronto gave up a home regular season game, let alone gate. Obviously it's not their home, but you would think Detroit would also be, because Detroit and Toronto are pretty close. You'd think yeah. Detroit would be like, we don't want to give up a Toronto gate.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know what the conversations are like in there, but I'm, I'm sure they're made whole in some capacity, right? Like there's, there's obviously got to be some, some motivation uh, provided to, to get them to agree to that. Uh, the one thing I'd, I'd love to change is, uh, I don't know. I'm assuming it's something in Sweden that that has them do these games in November, but could they not just do it in October? Like open your season there, right? Go there after training camp, play a couple games there and come back. And cause that's, you know, when uh, they're in Australia, who's, is it LA that played LA there? Like they yeah. did, right. That's yep. way easy to just say, Hey, here's, here's something we're doing uh, before, you know, before even the season starts we're having our first home games overseas and then we're coming up and then things start as, as opposed to like starting things up and then interrupting a period of time basically uh you know two-thirds of a month is disrupted for you uh, to to accommodate for getting over there in November but I guess I, I'm sure there's there's reasons why
0: yeah absolutely and I was just trying to look was it last year that they started the season even before or is it just the preseason that started i could have sworn there was a year where they did literally a game the night before the puck dropped and it was the technically the first regular season but it was overseas but maybe i'm just thinking of a preseason game to be completely honest with you um be, like, they, they do
1: that you know i think that's probably the preferred option is to say hey we'll start our season over here and then the team will come back afterwards but for whatever reason these in Sweden and maybe for when their leagues start or something like that. You know, there might be a reason where where Sweden's requesting the games be in November instead. But um yeah, that's what makes it clunky to me is is to do it mid season when no one else is doing it.
0: Yeah, I I completely agree. And it it was it was last year. I just looked up Nashville and San Jose played over in the Czech Republic, uh back to back nights and I think the the first night was before anything had even started in the NHL. It was like two days before the NHL season officially kicked off. But um, yeah, like if you could do that, I'm sure that you would rather. Um, Maybe it's also something to do with the league where you already have the hype of the season beginning, so they want to push it back for that you know November and December lull. Like I I know even in the NBA, they're doing that in season tournament this year. uh, Yeah, because the one no one understands. Yeah, yeah, exactly the the (laughs) one that they're doing as part of the regular season, but also a tournament. Um, But basically the reason they wanted to try that was because in November and December, when you're kind of in that middle part of the year before the trade deadline or anything, it's just a lull in in interest in, you know, ticket sales and viewership and, and that goes for the NHL as well. So maybe that's part of it, but yeah, I don't know. I'm sure there's a bunch of factors, which would have been nice if they could have had it at the beginning of the season or right before the all-star break or something like that, where you could get at least a little more time off, but um at the end of the day that's not what happened so i i don't think it's the biggest deal in the world but uh de- definitely something interesting that uh, if you ever got details on it i think it would be mm-hmm. interesting that we if we hear it from the league but I, I just don't think that would ever leak you know it doesn't seem like something it would which fair enough like again they don't it's not like they uh they really need to say anything but um the one other topic i did want to hit on quick because uh I haven't talked to anyone on this podcast other than myself since the uh, Pierre Dorian thing really happened. And, you know, obviously Brady Kachuk and Cole Giroux both made comments about the fans or about the talk about DJ Smith getting fired. And the last podcast I did, I ranted for about 24 minutes by myself, just yelling into this microphone. And I criticized them pretty heavily for their comments, to be honest. I didn't love what they had to say about, the fans turning their back or anything like that. But one thing I do need to give both of them credit for is they have played their asses off since I made that comment. You know, again, I I mentioned, I think today was Brady Kachuk's best game I've seen out of them all year. Like he was flying out there. He he stole the puck in overtime. And, and before they even scored, had that rush where he, he stripped Larkin and went back the other way. And I thought Drew's looked really good as well. You know, the, the game against Toronto, he looked amazing uh, fresh off those comments. So you know, give me your thoughts on just the the comments in general, but also, you know, are you seeing the same thing I am where, you know, I have a respect for them backing it up after they've said it, you know, they're showing they're not quitting.
1: Yeah. Well, those are probably the two guys in the team that could afford to make those comments because uh, of the consistency of their effort level. Right. You, like, I think most of the comments after from the fan base after, you know, that came out was, I love these guys they're amazing I would die for these guys but they're wrong right and uh so whereas if if another player like if Drake Batherson comes out and sit I, I couldn't even imagine him doing that but if if he did then people would be like well I'm not going to listen to you <laughs> about uh you know what we can and can't uh cheer for in a game I I think you know it's some of that stuff I think they're frustrated and uh, they they were tying it, I think, more into hey, this has been a chaotic couple of weeks here. Uh, we've had a lot of stuff going on. I don't think any of the players like loved Pierre Dorian. I think you can fair, say fairly that they weren't like that distraught over losing, but it it is a disruption when that happens, and it's a change, and it's something you know when you're not winning, you know it's one more thing to have to to deal with, and so I think for them, we all know they like DJ as a person so uh, it's almost like that thing where someone takes a your teammate takes a clean hit and then you got to go fight the guy right it's like okay well we can't hear this stuff and they seem to be taking it like those chants as a, a measure of their effort and performance level as opposed to like i think very clearly it was like that wasn't directed at players at all it was like no we don't like the way this team is coached and we would like someone new to coach the team and I think that's where the disconnect was a little bit. Um, and but I mean, there hasn't been anything since then. And you're it's like there those two guys then again performed after the fact and gave you the effort that that you know that they they can. And so I don't think it could have snowballed into more, right? Uh, but I think the way they responded afterwards uh, on the ice probably helped out with with kind of smoothing it out a bit.
0: Yeah, I think that's a, a good way to put it. And it, like, let's not act like their comments were super egregious or anything like that. You know, like it is possible to disagree with what they say, but understand where they're coming from. I'm sure, you know, they, they obviously, as you said, really like DJ. So it probably isn't easy on them either, hearing people talk every day about how he shouldn't be the coach of their team anymore if they really like the dude. And sometimes that's just going to be tough luck, but um. It's not like they came out and said the fans are bad or anything like that. It was just, yeah, you you could tell they were both frustrated when they made the comment. And who knows if they would have said it again. Maybe they would have. But the fans also have the right to disagree. It doesn't mean they have to go and boo them or anything like that, right? So it's definitely, it doesn't need to be made a bigger deal than it was, I don't think. Like I think people reacted properly and it seems to be kind of put to rest now, which is appropriate.
1: Yeah, and I think they should also know that the fan base here in general has been pretty damn patient with this particular unit uh this this cohort of of players and team cuz they they can see you know where things are headed uh, potentially and so they're willing to put up with you know not great results and everything but this is a team that is uh, you know in the past couple of years has really disappointed uh, with expectations, they they had that time where no one expected them to do anything, and everyone just kind of went with the flow. But they've now kind of had multiple periods, and the fans they rarely boo at CTC. Like it, it the boo their own team. Like th- that does not happen hardly ever. So I know t- the first time it happens, and and there's a chance that that you you go off. You could probably give them a little bit of slack there. That the fans are just uh, voicing their frustration at that point and and understand that for the most part they've been pretty good about you know being patient with the ups and downs you've had yeah it's been seven years of this team sucking <laughs>
0: like but, but and you're three or four since the quote-unquote rebuild was declared over and all that stuff you know and again that that's more just miscomments from for management than anything else but as you said, like, this team sat through four horrid years of hockey, and two years ago, it was a learning curve where every win they got was exciting, every loss, it didn't really matter. Last year was more frustrating, but, again, you could still kind of frame it as a learning curve, you know, battling adversity, all that good, going through injuries, all that stuff, right? This year, the time for excuses is over, and that's kind of where people were frustrated by. And, and again, like, I don't think – um, I, I doubt that Kachuk or Giroux think any worse of the fans today or anything like that. Like I'm sure they were just as frustrated as the fans and that's kind of what happened. You know, I saw someone, I think it was on ESPN saying that the fans are driving Kachuk out of the market or something. It's like, man, he's got seven years left on his contract and all he ever talks about is how much he loves the loves it here. Like we don't need to I, do I mean, that. I saw but...
1: uh, Kevin Weeks. Yes. I think that's who it was. Right. Yeah. And everyone like, that's not what's going on here at all. Like that, that's, no one's driving anyone out. And I think Brady said that he deleted his social media. I'm like, all players should get off social media anyways, because I mean it they are there to get positive reinforcement, right? Like that's and social media is not going to give you that all the time. So I don't know why you bother trying to, you know, get that out. So but it I don't think it was for anything other than, hey, we're we're doing poorly. Why would I go and look and see negative comments from people as opposed to I can't stand this fan base and want out of here. Like that, that's certainly not what was going on.
0: Yeah. It's just an unnecessary distraction when, you know, you you need to try and turn things around, right? Like I've seen teams in the past. And again, maybe this, this isn't the exact same thing, but like one of the things around the world juniors, it feels like every other year is you, you hear that team Canada deleted all their social media while they're in the tournament or whatever. And, reason for that that they say is we want to be focused on this and this only and and again i get it because you know when it's obviously lesser with just one team but when you have a whole country looking at you if you lose to the czech republic or something and you go on your phone wrongfully this is not right but you are going to have a bunch of very hateful messages from people who are
1: it's it's not healthy or or you know like that's the there should be a a bubble that you kind of put over yourself to a certain extent with that stuff as a a pro athlete I think it's it's important.
0: Yeah I completely agree so uh, the the only other thing I wanted to touch on before we get out of here was I I want to get your thoughts on how the goaltending has been recently and this year in general I've seen some mixed takes about it it feels like generally speaking a lot of people are defending it because of the obvious defensive structures that we have highlighted. And and I do lean that way where I don't think the goalies aren't to blame for anything by any means. But at the same time, I keep circling back to myself going, I would just love a little more though. I don't know if that's me being too greedy or if it, you know, really is like, what's your take on how the goaltending has been so far?
1: Yeah. Uh, I think in, in a, to a certain extent you get what you pay for. So these guys are paid, it's a three million dollar goalie and a four million dollar goalie, right? That you have, so and and they're probably paid in and around what they should be given given what they've done in their careers. Uh, there's about I don't know, maybe seven, eight goalies in the whole NHL that you could like reliably depend on to be really great almost every night, and and win your games. Everyone else is kind of a crapshoot. So what will happen this year, I'm sure, is that so right now, Forsberg's had it had a, a rough go, right? So yes, he's, he's been in those that stretch of games where they they looked really good at the start of the year. He was the one that was in there and Korpisala was the one that was struggling. Uh, the, and Forsberg gave him a, a chunk of those wins. And then he he had a bad game and he hasn't you know played a lot. And when he has it hasn't looked great, it'll flip flop. So there'll be a stretch. I think any of these goalies have the potential to play uh, above their their pay grade and, and give you a stretch of a month where they are carrying you to a certain extent. And I think it's smart to have two guys because then, you know, you, you, you can kind of hopefully one of them's going at one time. And that's sort of how I've always looked at it, especially if you get to teams that are going into the playoffs and their goalie gets hot in the last, like, the month of the season they'll win the first round right like it's almost inevitable it doesn't matter how good of a team you are if that goalie's, if they timed it well and perfectly then that goalie can carry you so um yeah i i I think that's what we're in for this year i I don't think neither these guys are are elite goalies they have the potential to play well for you and and give you good good nights but it's going to be up and down and it's going to go back and forth between the two of them. There'll be, I'm sure in December, there'll be a stretch where they put Forsberg in and he'll, he'll go win them three games or something like that. And Amber yeah. be like, oh, we got to ride this guy. And, <laughs> uh, and I think that's just how it's going to be the the rest of the way. Cause that's, that's the, the guys that they picked to, to be on the team.
0: Yeah. And I don't hate their strategy for it. Cause as you said, like you just, it's so hard to find one of those top seven, top eight goalies if you don't draft and develop them yourself, you know, like you, you look at those goalies, it's just drafted and developed Vasilevsky drafted and developed UC Soros Jake Ottinger, um, Sorokin, all, all these guys were drafted and developed by their own team. You know, Hellebuck is another one I'll throw in there. So if you don't have one of those yourself, it's very hard to go find on the open market, someone who can actually go and steal games for you on a, on a regular basis. So I don't hate what they did. And yeah, Forsberg, he, he's, almost underratedly struggled I would say this year uh, he had a couple of real clunkers in there that you know his goal saved above uh, expected is at negative five and a half which is the fourth worst goalie in the league the only goalies below him are Samuel Ayrson of Philly Phoenix Copley of LA and Philip Gustafson ironically enough of Minnesota um, and then corpusala has been I think exactly what we should expect him to be and that is a guy who is right around average. You know, his, uh, I don't think this has today's game in it. So that might update it a little bit, but he's got a 1.93 goal saved above expected, which puts him 27th among all goaltenders in the league. I don't have any games played filter on there. Um, so you have a guy like Eric Comrie has only played three games above him, um, but he's been about a lower half starter is what I'm, maybe even a mid-tier starter, I would say, um, which is kind of
1: what you would expect from him, right? Like, Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I think when they, they signed him, I don't think anyone was like, "Oh, we're getting a top ten goalie." No, right? I I don't think that was the thought. It was just, "Hey, this guy," and I think what you see is, "Hey, this guy has put together a stretch recently, right? Last year, where he was carrying a team, and you kind of like, okay, well, can we get that from him? Maybe it's not going to be over eighty two games, but if there's a a good chunk of the the time that he can, you know, get going, and we see that he can, then then that's worth it, right? It's just, um it's not going to be their strength it, and you have to kind of play through when they're not at the top of their game. You just hope that the bottom doesn't fall out and they're both like not letting in everything that, that comes their way. And that cause that just sinks you, right. That's a Matt Murray situation where it's like, okay, well we can't, no, this team can't move forward at all with here. Cause we're just losing every single game. Cause every puck that gets thrown at the net is going in.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think what I want to keep seeing and and maybe even just see a little more if, you know, I am going to be greedy about this this goaltending situation, is they don't need to steal games on a routinely basis by any means. But when this team is getting on a roll like they were early today, and they, they go up for nothing and then they start to slide and do the thing where it looks like they're breaking down, or maybe the game's zero-zero and they're kind of breaking down, just one one or two more saves there where it's like that was an amazing save. That puck should have been in the net, but you bailed this team out so that the team can kind of turn around themselves because I do find when they get those, they can't turn it around. You know, it's, it's, again, it's funny. This team acts like a junior team half the time where they get so just chaotically sprinting around their own end when something goes wrong. And then as soon as you have a bit of steady calmness, they go into the intermission, come back out. They look like a new team. So if I had to ask one thing from the goalies, it'd be like, you don't need to stand on your head for nine, 10 saves in a row, but give them that one at a crucial time in the game. And again, that's, a lot easier said than done but if they do that they're going to be more than worth what you're paying
1: yeah and i think as a fan base that's something that we have an expectation level about because we had craig anderson here for for years and that's what he would he was never a top 10 goal like maybe he slid in there every once in a while but he he was sort of middle of the pack but he could have stretches where he he'd save the game for you right and he he would get on on fire and and It looked like nothing could get past him and he did that consistently right uh that was so i think we kind of and that was this that was like a decade right so when you you have that in place it's kind of you get used to it You're like well why can't any of these other guys give me that that same thing and it's not uh it's not necessarily common i think we we kind of underestimate how good he was for this the team it's too bad he just kind of played an era where they they didn't have you know an elite team around him they they had some half decent teams but not not enough so he ended up having to kind of fend for himself on a lot of nights too yeah and
0: because i mean the one year they did put a decent team around him, they make the conference finals and on you know obviously that was the carlson show but greg anderson was a very very underrated part of that run. he was a stone wall back there and yeah, I think you do make a good point. We have been pretty spoiled, generally speaking, as sense fans over the past 10 years, you know, prior to or 2020 or so, I guess I'd say, because even when Anderson went down or whatever, you had the Hamburglar run. You had like Mike Condon step up and be, you know, a guy that they just looked like at an absolute wall for 20 games in December one year. Like,
1: And you remember with, with both Hammond and Condon, those were short-term things, right? Like Hamm- Hammond went out of his mind for two months and then he went back to being like an AHL goalie, pretty much almost immediately, right? And I mean, he had injury stuff too. But and Condon, same thing. Like he, he came in, he's a backup goalie, but he caught fire and played really well. Uh, so I think any goalie has a potential to do that. But that's at the NHL level. Like th- those guys, you can you can kind of catch lightning in a bottle, but um, it's it, it is unpredictable. You don't know if that's yeah. If that-
0: Absolutely, and that's why I don't mind how they've approached the goalie position this year. Because if you don't have one of those top eight guys, it's better to go get two guys that are anywhere from twelve to thirty, and just hope one of them can catch fire at the right time. Because if you're overpaying for the eleventh best guy, that can you know backfire in your face. Just it's more often probably than it's going to go right. So I, I have no you know kind of qualms with how they've approached it, but. Uh, it'll be interesting to keep an eye on. Uh, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. You know, plug anything you want. You know, where where can people find you or anything that, uh, anything you want here?
1: Oh, I continue to uh, to uh, post away on uh, the, the cesspool that is Twitter, but, uh, and I won't call it its new name, but I'm uh, there is a, at Defense Minister, um, just giving my thoughts. It's almost like 99% sense related. So I, I kind of stick to, Um, uh, commenting on the team and hopefully not getting too up or down as much as possible, even as a fan. And I know how it's hard. That's that's the case, but that's, that's pretty much it. Uh, And then uh, yeah, show up on on pods here and there. But uh, for the most part, I make my home on Twitter.
0: Well, I appreciate you joining me and I will definitely have to have you on down the road. Obviously, I'm sure there will be no shortage of stuff to talk about with this team
1: uh, over the course of this season. Definitely Alex. I always appreciate coming on and being able to chat since.
0: Want to give a huge thanks to Tyler for joining me. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed that uh, podcast as much as I did. And as always, you can follow me on Twitter at NHL Sense and Stuff and the podcast on Twitter at Last Word on Sense. Uh, you can find all my work at LastWordOnHockey.com and be sure to check out my other podcasts, the MNM Hockey Podcasts with chase mccallum Uh, we do that podcast weekly comes out every wednesday or thursday uh, so and you can subscribe and listen to it wherever you listen to this podcast so uh thank you everyone so much for listening and uh let's hope for a good end of this sweden trip and i will be back at you soon